Welcome, everyone. When Justin read the Maftir portion from the Torah today, he said a line that many of us are familiar with, but it's a line that doesn't make much sense. The line is, Timcheh Zecher Amalek. Timcheh means obliterate or erase. Zecher means the memory, and Amalek means the Amalekites. And it's putting a responsibility upon all of us that we have incumbent sitting on our shoulders that we have to get rid of the memory of the Amalekites. We can't remember them. But I ask you a question that's not so unique. The rabbis ask the questions too. If we don't remember the Amalekites and we fulfill that commandment of obliterating them in our memory, what's to stop it from happening again? Don't we have a responsibility, instead of obliterating the memory of the Amalekites, to make Amalek the forefront of our memory, what sticks out as etched in our memory so that we never fall into the trap of forgetting it. And the two responsibilities are quite different because the Torah is unambiguous. When it tells us block out its memory, it's telling us erase it. But sometimes we have to have these things in order to remind us of the challenges in which we face. In life, our greatest challenges and our greatest calibrations are always determined by things that catch us off guard, things we're least prepared for. I think in particular of a man by the name of Lee Ielpi, who now is the director of the Welcome Center at the 9-11 Memorial. Lee lost his son Jonathan, who was a firefighter of blessed memory on September 11th. When he knew the all-hands call had been made, and when he saw the towers come down, Lee feared the worst. And from that day forward, Lee spent every day of his life for the last 13 years at Ground Zero, first searching for his son, and he was one of the lucky ones because Lee's son Jonathan was indeed found, and he was able to have some level of closure as he laid him to his eternal rest. But since then, it was those acts that he sees play in his mind's eye every day of those commercial airliners slamming into those innocent buildings as people were sipping coffee beginning their day on a perfect Tuesday morning that since shaped his life into becoming the director of the Welcome Center at 9-11. If I were to ask Lee, what do we do with the memory of Al-Qaeda? What do we do with the memory of these 19 hijackers? And what do we do with the memory of these terrorists who changed your life forever in ways that we can never imagine and never hope to understand? I doubt Lee would say to us, let's obliterate their memory. Let's never remember them again. Lee Ielpi would tell all of us 
that we are required, we are reminded to remember them more than ever. But sadly, it's when things feel quiet, when things feel normal, when our life goes back to some level of routine, that we don't draw back in to that memory. And indeed, they are forgotten. Not only the lives of those lost, but what it was that took them. There's another illustration that happened just a few weeks ago on a wholly different scale. And it was the untimely death and the nature of death of Robin Williams, the famous actor and comedian. David Letterman, I think, put it best, who's one of my comedic heroes. David said, Robin was one of my dearest friends. I've known him for more than 35 years. I never knew that the man was in pain and the man was suffering. What happened in the wake of Robin Williams' death by suicide is that the world, so many of his fans, so many of all of us, the common folk, dialed in and understood perhaps a little better how real, how serious, and how painful mental illness is for someone to live with. How someone can seemingly be the funniest person in the world, the nicest person in the world, one of the wealthier people in the world sitting on top of the world. But to know their struggles inside is to have a special loop of which none of us hold, except those in the most inner circle, and even then, we don't have it. But the question becomes that when time moves on and the media focuses on the next story or the next death, whether it be an unfortunate and gruesome beheading or the death of an 81-year-old Jewish comedian, have we obliterated the memory of the things that we're supposed to continue focusing on? Have we forgotten the cause of the mental challenges that Robin Williams and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Americans and those around the world live with each and every day that caused them pain and suffering and that were wake-up calls for all of us to dial in and to understand better what our neighbor, what our spouse, what our child might be living with and suffering through. Because if we just move on to the next story, We've done what the Torah wants us to do, but perhaps doesn't want us to do. Because we've obliterated the memory, we've forgotten it, but we haven't changed what we need to change. September 11th happened 2001. On October 7th, less than a month later, we invaded Afghanistan. That invasion was a direct result of the attack on the Twin Towers and the Pentagon. Our focus at that point was to root out evil, eradicate it, those who are seeking destruction of democracies, in particular capitalism in America. And we were steadfast, determined. But then as life went back to quiet and normal, the successes of the Secret Service, the police, the anti-terror units kept so much terror from us. Did we do the same thing? Did we blot out the memory? Did we find ourselves ignoring all of the threats that might surround us and not focusing on what we're required to really change and be present in? What I'm really asking all of us is, is could the Torah be wrong? Could our real responsibility be 
to make sure that we never, ever forget what the Amalekites did to us. And that we never try and erase it from our memory. And that our real responsibility is to keep that change in our frontal lobe now and always. Because if we don't, whether on an issue that is global, that we're facing as a people, perhaps the issue of terror, or whether it's an issue that faces us in the micro, in a personal family dynamic, maybe it's challenging dealing with mental illness, maybe it's things that we don't draw our attention to until the world gives us a wake-up call by slamming planes into buildings or having heroic comedians and actors that we adore take their own lives. Maybe it's telling us that we have a responsibility to hear that wake-up call, but to stay fierce and determined in our pursuit of change. What I'm suggesting is, is that in the month of Elul, a time where we blast the shofar every single day, the purpose is to wake us up, to change our ways, and to stay focused. The rabbis are explicit in telling us that if we plan on fixing a particular behavior, only to know in our own mind that we're going to go back to that behavior later, later, that it's not considered a fix, that we've done nothing to make progress or a journey. But true fix, true tshuva, is only recognizing what's been done wrong and an endeavor, an earnest endeavor, to change it. But if we just know that by changing it, we're going to go back to our ways and our attention span and focus on fixing those pieces won't continue, then we shouldn't bother in the first place. What I'm saying is if all of us draw attention to those who are suffering with mental illness in the wake of the death of Robin Williams and we can't stay with it for more than three days or a week, then shame on us because we're not keeping that memory in our forefront. If we are appalled by the gruesome murders and beheadings by militant organizations like ISIS and we are enraged and our rage only dissipates in a matter of hours or days to whatever the other issue du jour is, and this cancer continues to grow, then we've obliterated the memory of the Amalekites. and We haven't kept it in our frontal lobe, and we're not doing what God and the Torah wants us to do, and especially at this time of year. I want to close with a story that I've told every year on the High Holidays, but its purpose on change is the most critical story to elucidate what we really have to do, to what this season is all about. It's a story of an impoverished boy who finds an egg, and he finds such satisfaction in this egg and such hope. He says, with this egg, I'm going to make my family dinner. I think with this egg, I'm going to scramble some eggs up with this egg and I'll feed my whole family. Or maybe I'll boil some water and break it in and I'll poach it. I'll poach the egg for them to eat. Or maybe, maybe I'll fry it sunny side up the way they want and I'll try and scrap up a piece of toast for them. So excited he's holding the egg in his hand and he says you know what? Maybe I'll put this egg under light and I'll let it hatch. I'll let it hatch and instead of scrambled eggs, we'll have chicken. Chicken for dinner, because that would be even more fulfilling. It would be even more protein, and I could feed more people with chicken. And then he says, you know what? Maybe I'll let the egg hatch. And when the egg hatches, I'll find someone else who has another 
chicken and I'll put them together to mate and then we'll have more eggs and we'll have more chicken and then I'll have a dairy farm and a chicken farm and we'll scramble eggs every morning and we'll fry eggs every morning and we'll poach eggs every morning and we'll have chicken every night and he's skipping on his way and the egg falls on the ground and breaks. And instead, he goes home hungry. That story differentiates and delineates what it is to hope and what it is to execute. What it is to say that our lives will be different in the wake of someone who faces mental challenge and what it is to really make a different life about it. What it is to say, I'm going to obliterate the memory of the Amalekites, but then ignore what that is a day or a week or a month later when some other issue arises. All of us are holding eggs in our hands. All of us have hopes and dreams and aspirations for the new year and the new day and the new week and what our school year will offer and all that we promise to do. Be better husbands and wives, sons and daughters, friends, professionals. But what matters is not our hopes. What matters is how we execute on them. And what drives the way we execute has to be memory. It has to be preventing pain that has been caused and learning from experience. Because if we don't, then it happened for naught. Then there was no lesson gleaned. I am what's called an SOS, a survivor of suicide. My brother committed suicide in 1996, and it forever changed me, and it changed my family. He also like Robin Williams, was in pain and he was tortured, much of which we didn't see while he was living. We only caught after he died. But our family took a solemn vow, an unspoken vow that happened at his graveside and happened every day of Shiva and every day since, that we would not allow his death to be in vain. And that when others in our world, whether they be in our immediate family orbit or our social orbit or even extra orbit, are in similar pain, are suffering, are hurting, that we're going to use that loop as best as we can to hear them and to understand them. Not that we have a magic elixir that can fix them, but we have to remember our personal Amalekites. Otherwise, we're just skipping down a rocky road with an egg in our hand, and it's poised to fall. And this Shabbat, a few weeks before Rosh Hashanah, pick a plan with your egg. Scramble it, poach it, let it hatch for chickens, but do it. And don't let the memory of the Amalekite, whatever that might be in your life, don't let it slip off your frontal lobe. That's the real challenge of making change. And if we can start that process, then we've embraced what this month is all about. And indeed, we are beginning anew. Shabbat shalom, everyone.